All right, everyone. Welcome back to Keeping It Real. This is episode number four with my good friend Sam Chouse. Sam is with Keller Williams, and he has been in real estate since he was 16, 17? Yep, yep. Bought my first house when I was 16. Wow. I have some catching up to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Sam, I just wanted to kind of give the floor to you and just tell us, like, what you're doing now. And I thought it was interesting when you were kind of in – Wisconsin, your backstory of how you got into real estate and mm -hmm. uh, what kind of inspired you to like get into it, I guess, is the, I don't think anyone wakes up and they're like, I want to, you know, go into real estate when they're seven. But as you get older, <laughs> I think you start to realize you should be thinking that way. So. Yeah, as we mature, right? Uh, well, so for me, it really, uh, it all started for me when I actually read, I read a book, it's called uh, how to be a real estate millionaire. It sounds corny as hell. <laughs> it is. But yeah. uh, it was written by a guy, uh, Dean Grazioski. And honestly, it blew my mind. It changed the way I thought about the world and money and real estate. It just flipped out everything on its head and it changed the way I thought. Hmm. And because of that, I just looked at things a little bit differently. Okay. And, um, you know, a lot of my friends in high school, all they were concerned about is, you know, Girls number one, of course. Yeah. You know, I yeah. was too, obviously. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're all just buying trucks and okay. jacking them up, tinging them, putting exhausts on them. Diesel was, trucks. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. And I was, I was buying houses. Wow. You know, so uh, that book, I credit it 100%. And what, and was it, this, what, was there something particular in the book where it was, maybe it was, because I think when you're in your high school, you're just looking at your paycheck and how to make money and working for money. So was yeah. it something that you were just, hey, I don't need to necessarily work for money you know I need to like figure out some sort of like investment or right. what was the to find something more passive but um, you know in in that book they they touched on wholesaling have you ever heard of wholesaling I have yeah I've seen the <laughs> I laugh because I hear the Facebook or I I see the ads for you know the wholesale guys who are yeah. get the you know they get the person on the phone they get it under contract and they flip it pretty much basically that, yeah. you, you you find a property that's distressed and you lock up the property under contract and the, the big part of that contract it must say your name and or assigns okay as, as a buyer which means that you can assign that contract to anybody gotcha. and you just flip the house to a different buyer for a fee almost like you're an agent but you're not hmm. so I would get these properties under contract and I would find the next buyer okay so the seller in a way thought I was gonna close on the home but the and or assigns meant that I could close on it or someone I assigned the contract could close on it. And, and then they had a price and I had a price and I would keep the difference. I would keep the difference. And how, uh, what year was that? And, and were you using social media to Ooh, find buyers was, or how were you? This was like 2008, 2009, okay. 2010. I think 2010 was the last year I, I did one of those wholesale deals. So, so is that post crash or was it? Uh, Pretty much at the crash. At the crash, yeah. okay. So all, all my friends gave me shit in high school because um, I read that book, of course, yeah. and that guy built his fortune on bandit signs. And bandit signs are these three-by-two signs that says that say, we buy ugly houses. Oh, okay, yeah, like I the telephone put, poles. I put those bastards everywhere. Okay. Everywhere. And it said, we buy houses ugly houses here's my number yeah right same house yeah exactly and i would go out i would go uh at four in the morning or at 
10 o'clock at night and just put them everywhere. So people couldn't really take them, right? Yeah. And then on their way to work, they'd see it. It's like a numbers game, right? Exactly. Yeah. They'd all get stolen. Yeah. But the next week, boom, I'd put 25 more out, and my phone would blow up. Wow. And so this, that was your lead gen source. This was my lead gen source. Wow. And in 2008, people were begging me to buy their homes. Okay. This was, and this was as they were trying to get foreclosed on, pretty much. Basically. Wow. And I helped a lot of people avoid foreclosure and short sale. Wow. You would think they would just call an agent yeah. to sell their home, but apparently they're worried about the 6% commission, oh, which so is very limited and mindset, so that, in my opinion. Yeah, so that helps. So they were worried about that 6%, so instead you would either buy it yourself or wholesale it. Right. Wow. Yeah. A lot of times I would buy it myself if it's a, if it's a really sweet deal. Yeah. I knew where I could, I could turn it, fix it up, flip it, or may, maybe it would be a good rental. But sometimes it was in a location where I just didn't want any part of, and then in that case I would try and find the next buyer. That's crazy. That's that's crazy that people were, well, I guess it depends on how upside down they were. But if, I mean, I would think if you're starting to, you, you do never want to go into bankruptcy and foreclosure. Yeah, so 100%. sell before then. So at right. least like reaching out to an agent or something like coming mm-hmm. up with a plan of like, hey, if this, if this sign, this guy with the sign we just called doesn't work out. Right. So you were doing, so you're wholesaling in Wisconsin. You're buying some properties yourself. Your friends are making fun of you. <laughs> what kind of, how long, you know, you're in high school. Was there a thought of going to college or this is what you're doing or? Not really, you know, because I was having so much fun with it. Yeah. And I was making good money. You know, of, of course, my parents wanted to go to college. I actually did, did end up going to a trade school uh, for heavy equipment operating. And I got my operator's license to run bulldozers, excavators, motor graders, skid steers, stuff like that. And then it also came with a CDL class, so I went through that. Okay. And so when I wasn't, when we were slow at work in summer, when there was no um, no trucking to do and no earthwork to do, I would go and um, haul propane. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So family propane business? Yeah, so we had a family propane business. Okay. Um, my, my parents started it from nothing. Wow. Uh, we sold that uh, a, a little while ago, but uh, they started it from nothing, and um, it, it was an interesting experience. You know, I luckily I was able to go through that CDL school and get my uh, I got my tanker and hazmat license to so, haul propane. So you have a clean background then, because that super is super clean. <laughs> is you not, can't smoke. Yeah. You can't you can't do <laughs> drugs. You can't do anything. You have to you have to keep a clean whistle for yeah. sure. So. Yeah, so I would haul propane to people's homes, deliver propane in winter, and then I would focus on real estate in the summer hmm, when there okay. was no propane to haul in the summer. Sure. Yeah, so it kind of it worked out really well. They complemented each other. So all the money that I made in winter, I just focused on saving for summer so I could buy homes and fix them up. Yeah, and what was the – that's awesome. What was, like, the price point in your market? Because I, I know maybe some people are listening. You're going to laugh. Sixteen yeah. grand. I bought my first house for and it's a four bedroom. Wow. A four bedroom home for 16, 16 grand. grand. Yeah. That, one I mean, six, that, not that, six zero, one six. That is like <laughs> the price. I mean, that's the price of a 2001 t- Tacoma here. Boom. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? exactly. That's crazy. Exactly. And, yeah. is, and, and was it su- like a suburban area? Is it kind of, did you know the area, well, yeah, so the market pretty well? I lived about 40 minutes south of Green Bay, Wisconsin. That's where I bought my first property in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Okay. Yeah. So I would I would drive up and, you know, that's where everybody wanted to be, in my opinion. 
I didn't know any better back then. I was yeah. like 16 or 17 years old, and I just wanted to be where all the action was. And that yeah. was I was a huge Green Bay Packers fan. Okay. So this was like 10 minutes from the stadium. Yeah. So it was it was super cool. Yeah. We had a lot of parties there and stuff. That's cool. Yeah. I bet the kid. I mean, you didn't need permission. It's not like your parents had to go away. You owned the house. Yeah. yeah. And I lived 40 minutes from them. So there's a lot of stuff that went on in that house that they never knew about. Oh man. <laughs> So, so you're at some point you leave Wisconsin, you end up in Hawaii. So, what was that transition? What brought you? I'm from Connecticut, so which is not as cold, but I kind of understand yeah. maybe why you wanted to leave Wisconsin. One is yeah. Well, um, uh, yeah. There's a, there was a couple things that went on. So I had built up enough savings where I had wholesaled enough homes over the years, where. I got my confidence to a level where I thought to myself, I can do this anywhere in any market. Mm. And in my mind, Hawaii is somewhere I always, someplace I always wanted to be. And I just didn't quite know how to get there. I didn't know anybody. Yeah. I was really going blind. Um, and I remember uh, I had a, a really good friend in high school that he always wanted to get the hell out of Wisconsin too. Okay. And so we would always, we'd always talk about having a trip and, uh, I was, we were really slow one summer and I called him up. His name was Tyler. And I said, Tyler, let's, let's go to Hawaii, man. He's like, why? You're crazy. Yeah. But we went and him and I stayed in uh, Waikiki for two months and we just parted our asses off every (laughs) single day, every single day and shouted at the girls, you know, and hit the bars. But this was in 2008 when everything tanked. Okay. Nobody was hiring. We tried so hard to find work over there because we were falling in love with with Waikiki. Yeah. It's, it's a magical place when you're young, especially when you're young. I mean, yeah. There's, there's girls everywhere. There's the beach scene. And there's bikinis. a bar vibe. Bi- yeah. Bikinis. Yeah. It's heaven on earth, you know. Yeah. So we tried frantically to move there as quickly as possible, but we both couldn't get jobs. Nobody was hiring. Hmm. Nobody was hiring. I must have filled out fifty-five applications. Wow. Yeah. Versus today, where it's the opposite, the market yeah. today. They're trying. They, they'll give you a signing bonus to, to work. They can't find workers. Absolutely, yeah. And so our our trip was coming to an end, and uh, I remember picking up a newspaper. Uh, I forget the name of the paper, but it showed Kilauea erupting. Hmm. And I said to Tyler, "Dude, we're only here for another week. Let's go to Big Island. Let's just jet over yeah. there." We had no money. We had no money. Two whatsoever. months in, no job. No Bunch job, no bars. money. Yeah. We're like, okay, this this sucks. We have yeah. to go home. Yeah. You know, so uh, we hopped in a jet. We had like three hundred dollars combined. Yeah. We landed in Hilo, Air- Hilo Airport and we stuck our thumbs in the air. Oh, Frank, man, two yeah. white guys. <laughs> yeah, two white guys yeah. sticking their thumbs in the air. We got hitchhiked. We hitchhiked all the way to uh, the volcano. Okay. It just happened to still be erupting. When we got down there. You're not going to believe this. We just happened to run into this guy that was also from our hometown in wow. Manitowoc, Wisconsin. Can you say that one more time? Man- Manit- Manitowoc, Wisconsin. Manitowoc. It's a tongue twister. Okay. Yeah. Manitowoc, Wisconsin. We totally hit it off. He took us right to where the lava flow was happening. Tyler and I had a dream. We always wanted to poke the lava with sticks. Okay. It sounds stupid, but when you do it, it's unreal. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's, it, I just remember when I, when I left that trip, I literally had a tear in my eye when I boarded that plane out of here. I, I said to myself, I am moving back here. 
I don't care what I have to do, hmm. but I am moving back here. And that, you, you fell in love with the Big Island, even though you'd been in Waikiki? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Cool. It was, it's had a much more country feel. Yeah. And that connection I felt with the land and I was right next to the earth being born. Yeah. That was, that was life-changing. Yeah. It's a different – you have to be open to it. Um, I don't know. I'm not the expert on it, but definitely when you've if you're here and you can be open to it and you respect it, it's like it's incredible the different energy that's on the island. Oh, and I'm so not true. someone who's into into all of that, but I know yeah. what you mean. When you're there and it's literally Earth being born in front of your eyes, it's like a different. It's very different. It's so. incredible. Yeah, and we got yeah. so close. I mean, I had no eyebrows after we were, <laughs> uh, we, were we had to get the photos. You know, right next yeah. to the lava coming at you, and I, all the hair was singed off of my legs and. Uh, the, the soles on the bottom of my shoes were flat because they uh, had melted. Just melted off. Yeah, because wow. we were going over crusted lava at oh. night, and in the crack, you could see the red glow in the cracks, and we were walking over that. Oh, my gosh. We were young at the time. Yeah. We, we could yeah. have easily died. Yeah. We didn't know any better. Breathing it all in. Exactly. Yeah. Mama wasn't there to tell us not to do it, so yeah. we did it, you know? <laughs> we're, yep. st- we're still alive. Yeah. That's awesome. So yeah. you, were doing, you did that, and then you obviously came back and moved here at some point. It took me five years from the end of that trip to actually officially move here. Okay. Yeah. And then moved back here. You obviously want to work in real estate. You're now a real, a very accomplished high producing real estate agent, but what was your coming back to the Island? I'm sure you're a little bit worried about what the heck you're going to do for work. Like what was that kind of the beginnings of Sam Chow's creating his career here? Because I think I can relate this, to this as well, is is you don't have the market size of the mainland here, and mm-hmm. you have a lot of money that comes in with tourism, but you don't have a lot of people that necessarily live here, especially in the Big Island. Oahu is a little bit more condensed. Yeah. So you start to learn, you're like, I actually, you kind of have to work in real estate, or you have to work in tourism, or you have to work in, you don't have a, uh, there's opportunity, I would say, to take advantage of people not answering the phone and people not wanting to work hard and all that stuff. But at mm-hmm. the same time, you don't have the the huge market. So that me yammering there, it was essentially like, what was that, you know, first day on the ground you hear like, you know, for you? And it was a little scary. Uh, and I had a really slow start in real estate. And I think it, w- it might've had something to do with the brokerage I was with prior to Keller Williams now. Okay. Um, they didn't do a whole lot of training. Um, not that that's their fault. That's mostly my fault for not recognizing that. But yeah. um, later on, you know, a couple of years in, because it took me a couple of years to get my, my feet going, you know, in as a realtor, um, I, I put what I had learned selling propane uh, into real estate. I went door to door. I did a lot of door knocking in real estate when I first started. Nice. And I knew the positioning um, from knocking on doors in Wisconsin. Because, you know, when we were slow in Wisconsin, there was no propane to haul. Yeah. So I was I was in charge of getting new accounts. I was the sales executive in the, in the summer for, for the propane company. Okay. So I would go around and I would uh, visit people in the country, and I would just look for a competitor's propane tank in the yard. And as soon as I saw their tank, I'd be pulling in their driveway, knocking yeah. on their door. And so I kind of knew how to position myself, how to, how to bring the tone of my voice so I wasn't offensive and very polite. And I was very successful doing that. Door knocking here for real estate. Door knocking in Wisconsin. So okay. I, I, I just took what I had known and learned um, doing that and and brought it door knocking in, in Hawaii here. Wow. So 
and people didn't really, people always think, okay, you can door knock it, you're gonna get rejected, you're gonna get the door slammed in your face. Yeah. That's not really true. It, it's, it's all about how you, how you present yourself and your body language. Okay. What was your, um, what was the dialogue like here? So were you looking for people who wanted to sell, maybe people who wanted, maybe you were knocking on a renter's door who wanted to buy, like what was your? My main goal was just to provide people value. Okay. I figured, why would they want to talk to me? Let's bring them something of value. So I would go and print off everything that had recently sold in the last six months. And I would just, here, just so you know, here's what everything is sold in the last uh, couple of months. Uh, if you want to stay in touch, I could send you these automatically. Yeah. And you just get them in your email. And people really appreciated that. Yeah. I was just keeping them informed with the local market. No pressure at all. Yeah. You know. I really like that because it's not um, – you ever listen to Gary Vee at all? A little bit. Yeah. yeah. So he's got this theory where it's, um, it's you know, jab, jab, right hook, which is like – give, and the jabs are value, and then the right hook is when you ask. But yeah. you almost – and I think this is at least how I like to sell in the sense of you don't ever ask. It's just sort of like – you know, he, like you said, here's some value. Here's, you know, what the market's doing. They're they're gonna figure out what you do, but you're having a conversation with people versus knocking on a family's door and being like, "Hey, my name's Sam. I'm a real estate agent. I'd like to sell your house." It's yeah, like, and nobody wants to hear that. Yeah, nobody cares about about this holy guy coming in trying to sell homes. Yeah, versus they want you to go away. Yeah, versus <laughs> saying, "Hey, you know, here's what your neighborhood's been doing. Like, here's some insight information for you." Yeah, you build a connection with someone. They you know, that's just such a better approach because like you said, people hate to door knock, but even the times that I've done cold calling, I've actually never done door knocking before, but cold calling mm -hmm. is I switch the script is the first thing is I would say is, Hey, I, you know, I have nothing, to, I'm nothing to sell you. I used to call on local businesses to try to sell them marketing services. Okay, yeah. So I would give them something for free. I'd be like, Hey, here's, um, uh, what was I doing? I would give them either Google, you know, the Google review cards. So I would, I had a printer, so I'd print them out and say, hey, can I just print these out and give them to you? And 90% of people would say yes, and then you'd meet them, and I would never ask, never sell, but all, every single one of them asked how I could help their business. Nice. Because you would switch the, the dialogue around, and a lot of the times, it's not like you're kind of saying, is maybe you, you meet a family that doesn't want to sell at all, but you just become friends with them. Right. You know, not everyone, you don't have to just go for the, the kill. That's true. One, you can't you know? go for the kill, especially if you're in real estate. It, this yeah. is a long haul game. You know, I have people that I still still stay in touch with um, that are in my, my database that yeah. are four and five and six years old. Wow. And they haven't done anything with me, but they still converse with me. Yeah. And I know, based on t statistics and past sales, that they will eventually buy or sell. Yeah. And I think one of the things, too, is like that campaign, which is you know, you can do through social media or it sounds like an email campaign that you do or yep. whoever, but it's like people have dinner with other people, people golf with other people. And it's like, oh yeah, no, I know Sam. They might've not used you before, but, and then they're like, oh, you know what? I was just looking through someone's, you know, through a list of names and your name was there. And then boom, there's your, your tie-in, right? And it's, right. it's, uh, it's pretty incredible. And I think people need to know, like people will remember you. It's just, you have to, give them a lot of reminders. You can't call Absolutely. them once and tell them. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and if you know if you think about, you know, people in the trades, who do you call when you need something, right? If you close your eyes and if you think of the word plumber, you should think of one or two people that come to your mind. 
I wanted to be the realtor. When people would close their eyes and they think of that one or two, the, the first or the second realtor, I just wanted to be the number one or two. I was okay with two because something might happen with one. Yeah. They might I, not like number one. You know. Yeah, or they move off island, which happened a lot during COVID. Yeah. So I, I really built my business off helping people that were not ready to buy or sell now. Okay. So that was your kind of your focus. Mm-hmm. So you're doing that. Um, what was your, you know, I don't want to skip the, because I think there's a lot of people who might see you and they're like, wow, this guy's a top producing agent. You know, all he did was do a couple door knocks. And then what <laughs> else did you do, you know, to build it up over the, the kind of the years? Boatloads of open houses. Uh, when I first started, I was doing three open houses per week. Okay. Visiting other open houses, pretty much? No, hosting my own open houses. Okay. And I didn't have listings then. So my broker at the time was generous enough to allow me to host his open houses. Ah, uh, okay. They were his signs, yeah. which he got a lot of credit for, and I'm sure a lot of business for. But a lot of buyers that uh, they just, as soon as they, they got to know, like, and trust me, they did business with me. Gotcha. And everybody I met coming through that door, I did my best to collect their information mm. and then i also did my best to bring them value every month to make sure that i owned a piece of their brain space when they close their eye gotcha close their eyes at night and think of that plumber that realtor that yeah. lawyer i just wanted to be that number one or number two that's it that's cool and that's a great way to meet people because you might meet a buyer that's on vacation right that's yep. not going to buy for another two years but you know because you didn't have uh commission breath of just like Bingo. You know, yes. and that's they a, can smell that. Yeah, people can people can sense that, and it, and you can almost see. I'm sure you've seen it where if someone says, "Oh, I'm not. I'm just. I'm here on vacation. You know, I'm just looking. Maybe in the next couple of years, you can see the body language change of maybe an agent they're talking to yes. versus just being like, "Oh, that's great. You know, like mm-hmm. what can I in the meantime? Like how can I help you? Right. Because they might buy it tomorrow." You know, they might just, they might not just be ready, you know, right now. Right. You know? Absolutely. So, so you, so you did op- the open houses, you're b- building that up. How, you know, what's kind of your journey at Keller Williams? I mean, talk to me about you're now a top producer. So what does, how many units are you, I don't know how they measure real estate. Is well, it volume s- or? Yeah, it's, it's kind of both. Uh, some people look at the volume. Some people look at number of homes sold uh in 2023 i sold 28 homes nice units so a unit could be land it could be a condo it could be a single family home it could be commercial so about 28 units total uh on the year and uh just shy of 19 million in volume for last year nice so awesome pretty happy with that uh the goal is 25 this year so we'll see if we can hit it okay so how do you <laughs> how's this year been going so far Pretty good, pretty yeah. good. I, I, as long as everything stays on track, I, I, I'm on track to beat 25 as okay. it is right now. Cool. Yeah, I just have to stay ac- accountable. Yeah. You know, and in real estate, it's tough to stay accountable unless you have an accountability partner. So a lot of a lot of Keller Keller Williams uh, uh, training will teach you to have an accountability partner. Do you have one? I do. Oh, who is it? It's my wife. <laughs> nice. Perfect. Yeah. You'll be in double trouble. Uh, she's That's like, good. babe, we, we need to afford diapers this year, so <laughs> you better start calling. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We just had our first little girl, so we uh, go through a lot of diapers. Well, congrats on being a dad. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. So did you, um, I guess now it's like, do you help mainly buyers or sellers, or has it been a this will probably walk us into the what the market's doing, but mm-hmm. is it a 
I mean, I, I know in 2020 and 2021 and 2022 ish, things were crazy, right? Mm -hmm. So what's what's the market like now? Are you helping mainly buyers? You know, who do you mainly work? Let me let me just stop all that and who do you mainly like to work with if you can if you could pick sellers ideally. Okay. Uh, and mainly because it's it's a more predictable sale, and as long as you can have a legitimate conversation, a come to Jesus moment with that seller, <laughs> they're going to sell their property. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of agents out there, they're, I've heard them say this, that they're afraid of listings and mm. they're afraid of sellers. And that's probably because they haven't been trained properly. Uh, the greatest leverage of time for a realtor is to have listings. Yeah, because then you have inventory, right? You, you can control the market, you can control pricing, you can control your schedule and if you can control your schedule, you can cr control your income. Hmm. With buyers, you can only handle maybe three or four active buyers at any given time. Any more than that, you're gonna go crazy. Sellers, I could handle 10 to 15 at any given time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, because you have, I mean, I guess from a, my perspective as if I'm a buyer, you know, especially in Kona, you know, if you're looking at the west side of the Big Island, it's not like we have a lot of inventory so you're working right. with if you're trying to work with five buyers they might be looking at you know s the same homes or similar homes and then trying to find let's say they get pre-qualified they're ready to rock you know they can buy something right well finding something they can buy is is now the next yeah. thing and then I, something they want to buy right it's probably yeah yeah absolutely yeah it back back in 21 when the market was absolute insanity it was really tough to work with buyers and I, I felt for them because you know we were getting outbid on a lot of stuff yes I helped a lot of buyers uh, close on their properties but you know the amount of offers I wrote per buyer was ridiculous and the amount of contingencies they had to drop yeah. in order to get into that home was also ridiculous like the inspection and no inspection no appraisal contingency um, non-refundable earnest money Wow. These things are unheard of. Yeah. You know, but in 21, that was the norm. You know, if you weren't doing that, you weren't a serious buyer. Yeah, you're you're in the stack, you're gone. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, the average listing would come on, and within four days, they had 10 offers. Wow. How are you going to rise to the top? And especially, you know, as hope, you know, you're competing with other financing offers, right? So, like, right. obviously, the cash buyer walks in the room and is just going to drop the hammer. Of but course. If that's not in there, like you said, you know, earnest money, you know, not essentially giving them five to ten thousand dollars, no matter what. Non-refundable, right? Non-refundable. You know, how does the? Um, I guess I'm curious on the appraisal. How does how do they waive the, the contingency on the appraisal? So. So what they're saying is, if the appraisal comes in low, you can't use that as a reason to get out of the contract. Gotcha. Okay. And if and if it does come in low, buyer agrees up front to foot the difference. Gotcha. So that you have to have funds to be able to. Right. Yeah. So contract price is, say, for example, six hundred thousand, and the appraisal comes in at five seventy-five. You can't negotiate with the seller on that spread. It's the buyer's responsibility to foot that difference. Wow. Yeah, because the lender's not going to go for the lesser of the two. Right. You know. Right. So. so that was a tough market for buyers. Sellers were licking their chops. They couldn't yeah. wait to put their property in the market. Yeah. It's uh, now we have more uh, of a normalized market, which is which is nice for everybody. Yes, the rates have gone up quite a bit, but for everybody involved, um, 
on a they're more it's much more of an, on a level playing field right now in my opinion. Okay, so just yeah. as before, where it was insanely competitive and really, I mean, unless you had a ton of cash, you know, for down and all these different things, you really weren't getting anything. Mm-hmm. Now you feel, you know, maybe first time home buyers or people who are less financial have us would have a stronger position in today's market, even though the rate's higher. I do. There's a lot less competition. Um, I, I don't think we're ever going to see rates, you know, three and four percent ever again. Um, I think I think once people get used to the fact, you know, they keep on seeing the six and sevens. Yeah. They're just going to get used to it, and they're just going to eventually buy. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they're going to forget about those three percent. Well, and you can change the. I mean, you don't want to. You can eventually change the rate, you know, so you can't, right. you can't change the house you buy or the condo you buy or what you buy, but if the, you know, rates come down, which they, they do cyclically, like over time, just look at mm-hmm. last 20 years, you know, they come down, you can, you know, refinance your home and then, you know, the value of the home hopefully appreciates, so then that's on your right. side, so. And the arms have come back. Yes. Which are scary yeah. for a lot of people, yeah. uh, but it is a way to acquire a home and then hopefully they do really come down and then you can refinance out of that arm an adjustable rate mortgage into a 30-year fixed. Do you see a, a lot of people doing arms lately? Yeah, actually in the last in the last 12 months, I would say maybe 25% of my buyers did adjustable rate mortgages. Hmm, okay, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah some, some people are not afraid to, I mean, because you can still get out of those as well. I mean, yeah. it's not, yeah. but... Some people really want to know fixed, like this is no variable cost. This is going to be. And then some people are willing to bet on the market a little bit and say, hey, this is going to go down. Yeah. I mean, I know when um, when you, we had talked about a property you were buying, you were looking at arms. And, and that was like, I, I think it was at the pretty much the peak of the rate. That was the peak. Yeah, so, yeah. which was good that you didn't. I know um, we were talking about a, like a fixed option, but it just didn't make sense because – Mm-hmm. It's hope, we were hoping it wasn't going to stay yeah. where it was at. And everybody seems to think that when we get closer to an election, that interest rates are going to go down. I actually did my own research looking into that, mm. and there was a couple of studies that were recently done that proved that wasn't true. They looked, they looked at all election years all the way back until 1972, and they took averages, and it wasn't true. Mm. It, was, it was a very insignificant change. Okay. So... We'll see if that holds yeah. true up coming up coming into uh, this upcoming election. So yeah, yeah that's that, that's interesting, and that's part of the. It's interesting the the media's effect on oh, yeah. the market is crazy because it's you know you'll get texts from people who are like the market's gonna crash. So, I mean, I don't want to quote. I'm not an economist or anything like that, but I think that the market here, uh, at least in Hawaii, you have a huge demand and low supply, and even I think it's like 10,000 some, something housing units at the county shore right now for housing. So, yeah. I mean, what's your kind of opinion on the prices of things right now? And and where do you think the market's going? Because I don't really believe there's going to be a crash here mm-hmm. as long as the demand stays up. Because there's there's not enough supply and there's a huge demand. So, yeah. you know. Well, that's economics 101. You know, I mean, if you I have, passed that class, actually. Yeah, really? <laughs> Good. <Yeah. laughs> if you have very little supply of something, the price always goes up. And that's exactly what we're experiencing right now. Uh, back in 2020 and 2021, the Big Island had anywhere between 3,500 and 4,000 homes for sale at any given time in those two years. 
if you look at the inventory levels now, we're less than 2,000. Wow. That isn't changing. So yeah, I think prices are, are gonna continue to go up and we are not building homes locally or nationally at the levels they should be to keep up with population growth. Hmm. And when you, when you compile that with how hard it is to get new building permits, yeah. and I mean, you're doing a, res, uh, a resubdivision right now and it's yeah. so slow and painful. I mean, the county just makes you jump through all these painful hoops. And, and the cost too, I mean, I got a quote you know, to build, and this was someone who was going to be the GC, so they would be the GC yeah. and pull the permits. I would have to be the GC to make it reasonable, but it's it's four hundred to seven hundred dollars a square foot to build. Yeah, that's insane. And it's like, yeah. I mean, you know, he's talking about a fifteen hundred square foot house, eighteen hundred. It's like six hundred thousand dollars. I'm like, you know, I could yeah. sell the land <laughs> and overpay for a house that's built and not yeah. deal with the three years of you know. Right. So that's part of I think. Another thing too that people don't realize they're new to this market is how hard it's how long and expensive it is to build. I mean, yes. if you have deep pockets and you're like, I want to build this house, mm-hmm. awesome. But it's not, you know, I've seen a couple lots for sale in the Palisades area. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one that's still up there for four four hundred fifty thousand. I don't know anything about it, but it's I can't imagine it would make sense to build a house versus just buy one there, be- right? Because of how how long and how expensive it would be you'd right. almost be backwards yeah like. and you're usually two years start to finish yeah you know and and those people in the skilled trades are so incredibly busy and it, it might take you a year just to get uh plans and the approval on those plans from yep. the county and then you got to start building and there's got, another year minimum yep and the money costs money right so right. you got you got capital tied up yep you know. and then you're renting that yeah. whole time while you're waiting for that bill. Yeah. It's a little ridiculous. Yeah. You know, and that that is why, in my opinion, there's so much unpermitted improvements on this on the island here and why there's such a crazy movement down south on the big island hmm. to people just throw up unpermitted buildings all the time. Yeah. It's everywhere. Yeah. And I think the county's to blame, hundred percent. I agree. Yeah, I think if you looked at the process of how hard it is and what they even like building an Ohana, you know, I was in, I was actually in the planning department and I was overhearing a conversation of this guy who was trying to build an Ohana for a travel nurse and he's going through all the different rules and all the different permitting and all the yeah. different stuff. And you could hear in the guy's voice, he's like, I've been trying to do this for like a year and a half. I'm trying to do this for travel nurses. Like and he's just trying to build an Ohana. So I think like even like accessory dwelling units and things like that, they make it so difficult that yeah. that's part of the you know the housing yeah. issues i saw the a fact of um since 2008 in hawaii they a lot of the laws they say are mainland buyers coming in and, mm-hmm. and I, I i feel people's pain on that i think there are people that buy houses and they just leave them empty and that's you know that's your right to do if you own property but mm-hmm. statistically since 2008 there's been less and less out-of-state buyers for hawaii so if you look at that statistic, I don't think that's, I can't say that's the statistic that's causing the housing crisis, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot more to do with the building and the planning department right. than there is anything else. Yeah. I mean, it's common knowledge that we have a housing crisis here in Hawaii, but you would think that the county would adopt that common sense into their 
planning and permitting side of things. Yeah. They have no common sense in that department. Yeah. <laughs> I might piss off some people yeah. by saying this, but no, it's, it's so true. Yeah. There's zero common sense in that department. It's painful. It is painful. <laughs>